Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, January 3rd, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Welcome to 2016. It is here. Ready or not, it's happening. Some of us are ready. Some of us are not ready. Um, I know we all strive for a new opportunity, a new chance to make this year better than last year. Whatever dreams we have, we put them down on lists, we make resolutions, we resolve that this year will be the best year of our lives. Lists like this person. They created it back in 2011. Then they crossed it out, and it was the same for 2012, 13, 14. I'm sure it's the same one (laughs) last year and this year. And the first one says, lose weight, and then they put more weight, and then lose more weight again. (laughs) Number two, get fit, and then they wrote next to it, next year. Uh, Number three, give up alcohol, and then they wrote on top, and cigarettes, but they crossed them both out and wrote, drink less. It was, they were shooting too high there. Uh, number four, stand up to boss, and they crossed it out, find a job. <laughs> number five, be nice to wife. Try to be nicer to my wife. Try to be nicer to my ex-wife. <laughs> wow, that person has gone through a lot. And number six, sort out junk in shed, and then it got crossed out sort out junk in life. (laughs) Um, This person was trying to clean out their life, and they had high ambitions that first year in 2011, and they had to lower those expectations and do what was possible. Some of you might have not said, I'm not going to do any resolutions this year. Maybe this applies. Um, Calvin here is Screaming, yelling at poor Hobbs, resolutions, me? Just what are you implying that I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. Maybe they see themselves through the eyes of God, (laughs) Uh, and maybe other people uh, do not agree with him or us sometimes. So why why do we put, write down resolutions? Because there's a hunger inside all, all of us for a new life, a purposeful life, a fulfilling life, a beautiful life. And we believe that if we set a plan for ourselves, and maybe we get close to achieving that plan, uh, maybe it's not perfect, but if we get close, then it will bring fulfillment in our lives. And we try so terribly hard And, you know, the statistics say by February, you've already given up on your resolutions and we have to try again every year. The good thing is every day is a new day and God's grace is here with us. Now, this need to achieve or this need, this desire that we have to have a better life is explained better through uh, this philosopher named Renee Girard. I'm going to take you through this journey, and then we'll end up in 2 Corinthians, I promise. Uh, but we will take this journey up to 2 Corinthians. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, 
who you are our rock and our redeemer. We ask, O Lord, that you are present in our midst, God, this morning, knowing knowing that you have already come and that you are already here because you have promised to never forsake us nor leave us. You have been expecting us. And we believe this morning that you have a word to share uh, to each one of us, a personal word of hope and healing. In Christ we pray. Amen. So Rene Girard, he actually passed away last year, is this philosopher that coined this term, mimetic desire. He claims that all our desire is mimetic. For instance, this basically means that if somebody has something, you want it. I want it. The more unobtainable it becomes, the more we want it. And, and this desire grows inside of us where it becomes so large that it's, it becomes a fantasy. It's even bigger than the actual thing or the actual accomplishment. It becomes bigger than life. And so there is no way to be able to fulfill that desire. Because even when we obtain it, it leaves us disappointed. That's this mimetic desire. Um, there, I was watching 2020, and there was a story about two neighbors... They were best friends. They did barbecues together. They raised their kids together, all the way from like zero to 15. I mean, they shared uh, all the holidays together. And one day, there was this weird misunderstanding. There, one of the neighbors, 13-year-old, they, she had a party and sent out invitations to everybody except the neighbor's daughter. It, not that she did it on purpose. It was just accidental. And somehow mom got mad because her daughter was not invited. And it blew up into this massive feud. And when they interviewed these two ladies, um, the lady that was mad about not having her daughter going to this party, she said, it's not fair that my daughter was not invited. She deserves to go to this party as well. How come that daughter has a party and I'm not, uh, my daughter's not invited? So they got so upset with each other. In fact, they like put fences around their houses. They put cameras, threats, started going back and forth. There were like letters and cussing and this huge police came over. It was the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen in my life. Kind of comical, but it shows here when you have a desire for something and it's not fulfilled, then something inside of us happens where we get enraged. There's an, there's an anger that comes in the fact that our needs are not being fulfilled. Whatever it is, the need is. Now, we desire for many different things in society. I mean, we desire for success. We desire for money. All those things are good um, in general. Um, They could definitely bring forth some unpleasant things. But in general, it's not a bad thing to desire success. It's not a bad thing to desire to have more money. I mean, if you have more money, you can give more money away. It's not a bad thing to desire to have, you know, the perfect healthy body or the perfect physique. But 
what happens is that when we see other people that have those things when we don't have them, then maybe an entitlement can grow inside our hearts. And we begin saying things like, why does she look like that? And why does he have that perfect wife? And why do they have money to vacation? And why, you see how easily we fall into this trap. Rene Girard says this turns into rivalry and it turns into violence, aggression. It might be not like you want to kill the other person, but maybe it's passive aggressive. I know, I remember we used to go, when I was a kid, I would go to these camps, and there was the hot guy there <laughs> that everybody wanted, even though that person wasn't that hot. But do you know, do you hear what I'm saying? But they were the hottest person at the camp. So there was this weird competition that was happening for this one person. And, you know, girls were like a little bit snippy in attitude. Why? Because we were enraged that we could not have our need fulfilled, which was what? To be with the guy? To hang out with him? I mean, it was, it was, it was not necessarily uh, very wise, but it's a part of who we are as a human animal. This is how we respond. Now, we try to achieve all these things, and we fall short. Or even if you achieve whatever it is that you desire... It's not going to fulfill the longing, the deep human longing in our heart. It's not going to soothe the aching. It will soothe the aching for two and a half hours while you're watching the movie. Oh, it will soothe the aching uh, when you're having a meal, but when the hunger pains come back or when you're desiring another steak or whatever it is that you eat, it, it doesn't fulfill you long term. And there is a sense here that because it cannot scratch the itch, we begin to ask these dark questions. Like, what is life really about? What is the point of all this? I mean, is the point of life for us just to be entertained until we die? (laughs) Is the point of life just to find success and that's all it is? What is the purpose of life? Um, Solomon, in Scripture, um, he, is, he was known as one of the greatest kings, had like a thousand wives, I'm not kidding, a lot of people that he was with. Um, I always wondered how that worked out, a thousand women at his disposal, crazy amount of women, success, money, riches, everything that you could imagine. He had, he had fulfilled all the resolutions in his life. And he says this, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Somebody told me in the first service, gosh, Pastor Angela, It's a New Year's Eve message, and now you're telling us everything is meaningless? That's really hopeful. (laughs) Well, there is hope, friends, because this is the only place we can find hope. When we are 
entertained. We are distracted. <laughs> when we're working 80, 70, 80 hours a week, we don't have the energy to ask questions, deep questions like this. We're too tired. All the things that this world has to offer keeps us distracted from asking the deep questions. And when, this is the hope, when and if we get to this place, this dark place, which is something every human being experiences at some level, sometime in their life, when we get here, that's when our eyes can be open to the grace of God. It's the only time that our eyes can be open to the grace of God. And what is this grace? It's this incredible love that God has for us. Not for anything that we can do. There's nothing that we can do that can earn God's love. And in fact, we can never really pay for it. It's so expensive. We can work all our lives and it would never quite pay or earn this love. And what is this love? It says basically that you are loved just because you're breathing. It's a beautiful thing. You don't have to do anything for it. Just because you exist. John Wesley, one of the the founder uh, of this United Methodist Church, was a Christian like his whole entire existence. From the very beginning, he grew up in a Christian home. He became an Anglican priest. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And, like, kept asking, like, for 20 years or something. I don't know exactly the date, Pastor Jim. um, For a very long time, like, what is grace? And I don't have assurance. How is that possible for somebody to have been in the church and have had not experienced the grace of God. Well, it happens. Because religion is another thing that people try to obtain. We're not talking about religion. We're not talking about uh, dogma. I mean, John Wesley was very good at religion. He was very good at dogma. He knew everything he had to say. And then all of a sudden, he began asking these deep questions. He, he was in this dark place where the dark, he experienced a dark night of the soul, as some people experience. And in this dark night of the soul, he says he experienced the grace of God. He says as he was listening to one of Luther's sermons, he realized that he was loved unconditionally and that all his acts of piety were nothing in comparison to that love, that he could not even compare. Paul Tillich, another theologian, says this, Grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual. And then that's when we can hear God say to us, you are accepted. You are accepted by that which is greater than you. Do not try to do anything now. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. 
simply accept that you are accepted. <laughs> and then, because of God's grace, it gives us courage to accept oneself as accepted in spite of being unacceptable, in spite of falling short over and over and over and over again. The word accepted in this sentence comes up a lot. God accepts you. To find God, to find love, is to be able to accept yourself fully. To say, here I am, God. I am all me. All the, all the things that Angela is, all the gifts that she has, and all the many, many weaknesses that she has, here I am, Lord. I lay it at your feet. I reveal and I make my heart vulnerable. I am not going to hide from you anymore. I'm not going to try to fix it or do it myself. I'm going to just be open. And I need you to come and be real. Help me experience who you are. When we come to know, not just intellectually, but emotionally the love of God, where we're consumed by it, but it, when it overwhelms us, when we're enveloped in it. Just imagine yourself swimming in this love of Christ. When that happens, then our eyes, our paradigm shifts. Our eyes begin to see ourselves. We see ourselves differently, and we see the world differently, and then we can imagine and see the world as a new creation. Not tainted, not jaded, not polluted, not a mess. It is a mess. It's all chaos. It's all darkness. But we see the potential of it. We see with new eyes, and we can co-create with God. And this isn't about earning God's love. This is about participating with the Spirit. The Spirit is moving, and you want to be and do what God is doing in you. And that is where, finally... We reach 2 Corinthians 5. I had to carry you through this journey before we can come to this place of new creation. Because we can't even conceptualize what a new creation, what it means to really be new, until we have journeyed through all of that, which is just regular life. And Paul says here, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17, So if anyone is in Christ, you see, when you've been awakened in Christ, awakened in God's love, there is a new creation. Where is this new creation? What is new? What changes? Everything old has passed away. That means all of last year, (laughs) all the stuff that seems to weigh on us, all the regrets, all the pain, all all the stuff, in Christ, it's gone. It's, it's like God gives us an opportunity to recreate ourselves and the world in front of us. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled. Another word uh, for reconciled is restored, who has uh, changed the system who reconciled us to himself through Christ. 
and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So now we can freely go to God. There is an open way, open connection for us to connect with God whenever we want. And so that we can present this hope to other people as well. To tell other people, yes, you are accepted too. (laughs) I'm not the only one in God's family. You are accepted too. And you know, that's like a huge thing for people who don't feel like they belong anywhere to say, hey, you're a part of God's family. You belong to me. You belong to the church. You belong. You might not even know it. You might not even understand it. You might not even want it. (laughs) But you belong to God. Right, 19. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not just one person, not just Christians, not, not just those people that understand, but the whole entire cosmos, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. The message of hope that God has made a way for us to find freedom is for us to share for everyone. So we are then ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Have the courage to accept that you're accepted. For our sake, he made him, this is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. That doesn't mean Jesus sinned. It just means that Jesus became the scapegoat. You remember when I was talking about all that rage, anger, all all that? When that happens inside of us, when that entitlement happens inside of us, we have a tendency to release it somewhere. Somebody's going to feel your rage. Maybe it's a snappy comment. Maybe, can you imagine if a whole society, I mean, The philosopher is saying that a whole society is feeling this bitterness and rage on a regular basis. And a whole society then chooses to scapegoat other people, usually in hate crimes or so forth. They say, oh, those other people, they, why do they get all these whatever uh, free opportunities? I've heard people say, you get the same opportunities as well. Why do you care if other people get free opportunities? What is it to you if you have the same opportunities? Well, I don't have the same opportunities. Okay, so see how it becomes entitlement then. And we scapegoat other people. Well, Jesus says here, all that anger and rage has been scapegoated in Jesus in some way. We are all like the Romans, trying to kill off truth. We can all be that wicked in the right situation, in the right time. And so Jesus becomes a scapegoat so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that we can find relief, shalom, peace with God Righteousness is being connect, having a right relationship with God, having a right relationship with people. It's very hard. It's very hard to have a lot of comforts in life and find Christ. 
It, it is a distraction. Now, I am, uh, I'm kind of surprised that I'm saying this, but lately, I've been listening to Justin Bieber. Do you all know Justin Bieber? I used to think of him as like a reckless little kid that um, had a bunch of money and made like kind of bad music. <laughs> and not even, not that he made it. He just had producers that made bad music for him. And he just kept recklessly ruining his life and so forth. And gosh, for people that have it all, right? Fame, money, anything at your disposal, how difficult it is to ask those hard questions. Like, what is the meaning to life? His new album is very interesting. It's um, called, there it is, Purpose. And it's interesting in this image, he almost looks like he's praying. Those are kind of like crosses, I'm not sure. Um, I've heard that he's had like a religious experience, that he's been connected with some church, that there's been something. Um, His album is like, Adele is number one, he's second on iTunes. I mean, he's very popular now. And some of the songs on this album, the titles of these songs on this album are Sorry, Purpose, Trust, Life Worth Living. It seems like he's wrestling with some truth, something. In fact, the song Life Worth Living really captured my heart. And I'm going to read you some lyrics here. I know it's Justin Bieber. Just bear with me. You'll be surprised by these lyrics. Ended up on a crossroad. Try to figure out which way to go. It's like you're stuck on a treadmill running in the same place. Isn't that interesting? That kind of sounds like Solomon, right? When he said, meaningless, everything is meaningless. You've got your hazard lights on now, hoping that somebody would slow down, praying for a miracle. Who will show you grace? That's interesting. Had a couple dollars and a quarter tank of gas with a long journey ahead. Seeing a truck pull over, God sent an angel to help you out. He gave you direction. Showed you how to read a map with a long journey ahead. Said it ain't over, oh, even in the midst of doubt. And the chorus goes, life is worth living. Life is worth living, so he live another day. The meaning of forgiveness, people make mistakes, doesn't mean you have to give in. Life is worth living again. When I hear this song and I listen to these lyrics, my spirit bears witness that there's light here. I think he has come to know some grace. Now, the kid's not going to be perfect, <laughs> But I believe that God is working in his life. And it's a beautiful thing. He, he's quoted here in an interview, and he says, If we can understand that we're all imperfect, let's come to God and come for his help. You're not weak by doing that. I think that's a common misconception of Christians, that you're being weak because you can't handle it. And I love this. None of us can handle this world, dude. It's eating us alive. Justin Bieber just spoke truth. (laughs) 
None of us can handle this world, dude. It's eating us alive. This world is eating us alive. And we need the grace of God. And here it is. Bieber needs the grace of God. I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. The person next to you needs the grace of God. May we all come to know this incredible love of Christ so that this year, whatever we do, whatever we do, Christ is the center of our life. Because if Christ is there, then success isn't the center of our life. Then money isn't the center of our life. Then, you know, the perfect health diet plan is not the center of your life. Jesus is the center of our life. Let us pray. Lord, your grace, your love is indescribable. It's beyond what we can even talk about, oh Lord, but we know that we all yearn for it. Because nothing else can fill the aching of our being except you. We want you, oh God, to be the center of our lives. So help us surrender. Help us become vulnerable. Help us place you first, oh God. Help us recognize that it is you that we're crying for. And Lord, even even in those dark places, those dark places that will come in our life, may we search for you deeply. In Christ we pray. Amen.